Welcome to Made in Australia. Ball Played's deep dive into the Australian games industry where we focus on an Australian-based studio and their upcoming game. Welcome back to another episode of Made in Australia, Will Played's deep dive into the Australian games industry. I'm Zach Jackson, and today I'm joined by Falco von Wagner. No. Well, almost, but it works. Hi, Zach. How are you doing? Not too bad, Falco. Uh, just for the uh, audience, how is the correct pronunciation? Just in, it's I know that Falco von Wagner. We love the Falkner. F sounds in German. I said Wagner. I've, I've, I've been no, playing... No Siberia. So um, <laughs> I don't know if you've played that game, but that's... Uh, I have, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's one of those that no. you have to have played when you're making a point-and-click adventure, I think. Uh, that's it. Well, we'll uh, we'll talk all about that. But great to have you on. This has been a long time in in the making, nearly, what, a year and a half, nearly. Yeah. During the pandemic, everything is a little bit slower than usual. Yeah. Except for my cat, who wants to pay me a visit. Not quite right now. Thank you. All this, right. is not a, this is not a pirate cat, by any chance. Is what? A pirate cat? Uh, no, it is not a pirate cat, and it's not cybernetic either. But some of the cats in the game may or may not be based off our own cats, yeah. Nice. Nice. Well, uh, let's g- give us a, a quick uh, intro on who you are, uh, like, yeah, w- like where you're from, your age, just you know, basic sort of inf- information. Yes, yeah, so I'm Falco. I'm originally from Germany, became an Australian citizen last year after having lived here since 2014. Been through Sydney first. We didn't really quite like it there. No offense, Sydney Siders. It is still a beautiful city, but your restaurants and bars just close far too early. Sorry, sorry about that. Uh, then we arrived in Melbourne. Pretty nice here. Um, been here ever since. It's also where I created Insertus 22. Um, I, before I started Insertus 22, I was a full-time streamer and YouTuber, which I have uh, not done in some time now. Uh, wife's a physicist, so she can give me all the technical advice that I need about the, the futuristic tech in, uh, in Bon Punk. And we have three cats, and yeah, I'm married, and been playing point and click since, I think, 1984. That's yeah, how right. old I am. Okay. So the first one was, uh, if I don't remember incorrectly, Leisure Suit Larry. Right, Which okay. is a, an interesting thing to mm. play as a four-year-old, but... Yes, yeah. that's, I was going to say, that's, uh, yeah, that's a interesting way to, to start your journey into uh, point and clicks so okay so you're from germany i just want to deviate quickly from games are you a football fan um i'm a football fan when the world championships are on okay, outside okay. of world championships i don't really care i'm not much of a, of a sports ball fan despite having played handball myself uh but i always found watching sports far as interesting than actually playing them but yeah, when, when a world championship is on, That's yeah, fair. and when Germany beats Brazil 7-1 to one or whatever it was, <laughs> yeah, definitely. The reason I ask that question is because uh, I follow, I've, I've got like one main team that I follow, but then I actually support like a German team as well, uh, and that is uh, Red Bull Leipzig. Um, uh, I, I guess they must have a new sponsor now. I remember a yeah. Leipzig team, but... I don't think they were called Red Bull back then. No, so they they got bought out a few years ago, and they they sort of came up through the ranks, and there's yeah. a lot of lot of hate for them. Um, in hate Germany. or hype? Uh, dislike. They dislike, right? They hate uh, just because you know they uh, think that you know Red Bull just came in and it, it's like a marketing sort of thing, and 
Anyway, um, I've yeah, they have, they have, there's another team in Germany that is like that, which was bought by a billionaire, I think, 20 years ago or so. I forgot the name, unfortunately. And then suddenly they went from fourth league to first league within two years. It basically was just money that made it possible. And yeah, yeah that wasn't very popular in Germany either. No, well, money in football is it's cooked uh, at yeah. the moment. So anyway, um, yeah, nice. So where, whereabouts in Germany are you actually from? Um, that's a little bit harder to answer because I was born in northern Germany, a little town okay. called Ratzeburg, but then uh, we quickly moved to Vienna, which is obviously not Germany. Yep. Uh, and then we moved to Bavaria, and then we moved to Berlin. And yeah, the last last station that I lived in in Germany was Berlin, uh, which is why which is why Melbourne is actually pretty similar. It's not much of a culture shock. Pretty similar yeah. cities. I've been to I've been to Germany twice. Loved it both times. I, I reckon if there was any country in the world that I would like to move to, it's probably Germany. Um, yeah, I mean, I moved out of there for a reason, so so I really don't want to live there anymore. But I can see why people would yeah. want to move to Germany. So it's, it isn't for me, but I can see why. I think I think I preferred Munich. Munich is a little bit more on the conservative side, but really? I think it looks more beautiful than Berlin. They so, also just uh, love beer too, so. Well, yeah, we, ha- we had that in common. culture down there is great. Yeah. Food down is there. Down there is great. You're likely gonna gain a lot of weight when you're in Munich, but oh well, we uh, walked it off uh, walking up that uh, Disney. What, what's that castle that's based off the Disney? I can't. Uh, Neuschwanstein. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We uh, walked up that hill, and gee, that was a bit of a slog. Worked <laughs> off uh, those pork knuckles. All right, let's. Uh, so you're developing a game called Board Punk. So give that's us correct. the uh, quick elevator pitch on what. Punk the elevator pitch is. is a cyberpunk game set in the 22nd century on a Danish island about a android who thinks he's a gangster rapper, a disillusioned CEO, and a drunk hacker trying to find out what the fuck is happening to their brains because something has infested them. It's That's, pretty good. It doesn't get more elevator than that. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. So when did you actually start development on the game? Uh the the thought processes started in mid-2018. That was when I was becoming a little bit uh, unsatisfied with how YouTube as a platform was developing. And uh, I made I made a lot of videos criticizing games, basically like, like a critic. And at one point I thought, well, this is a bit shit, isn't it? All I do is criticize other people's work without actually adding anything to the industry. And then... As such, the idea was born to finally contribute to the industry in some sort of creative and productive way. Um, Thank you. And by the end of 2018, I I finally found a pixel artist uh, that that I was happy with. I didn't even know if it would be pixel art or not. I just wanted an artist that I vibe well with. Could have been a completely different art style, so I wasn't wasn't fixated on pixel art necessarily. Um, And then we started the Kickstarter. Which is which was in uh, February two thousand nineteen, and that was when the game took off in earnest, or development took off in earnest. Awesome. So, I think I mean I I can if you've looked at Born Punk before, you can pretty much well you've written what the main inspirations are. But what's some of the inspirations for Born Punk? Uh, the first thing that comes to mind is definitely uh, Shadowrun. For those who don't know Shadowrun, it's a uh, tabletop RPG setting, like Cyberpunk okay. from Cyberpunk twenty seven seven. Uh, but with an added factor of fantasy. So in Shadowrun, there's orcs and elves and dwarves and other mystical creatures. Magic is back in the earth, but within a cyberpunk setting. So much of the, well, not much. Some of the lingo comes from Shadowrun. Some of the ideas about cybernetics come from Shadowrun. Um, apart from that, uh, I tried to 
um, get away a little bit. So basically an anti-inspiration, get away a little bit from that whole East Asian stereotype that you get in cyberpunk games. So usually in cyberpunk games, everything looks like an East Asian city with neon and everything. And I think the genre is overly saturated with that uh, kind of imagery. Yeah. yeah well, Those would be uh, two of the things that would come to my mind first. One of the uh, one of the inspirations that you've got written down, and it sort of is one game that I thought of when I did see it. Uh, and it's actually quite similar in that regard too, is uh, Beneath a Still Sky. Um, it's it's similar. I wouldn't call it an inspiration because honestly, I, I don't think I've spent much time with the game. Um, but I can see why the why you would see similarities because it's it's pretty close in, in yeah well in genre even the world and, and is the presentation like, um, yeah like the world's kind of the same it's not it's not this neon um, you know, yeah take that, on that's sort true of yeah, that's so. true yeah yeah in regard, regards to the world it's also quite interesting because my graphics artist he Indrek he's from Estonia has lived his whole life in Estonia meaning he has a very big influence in architecture from the old Russian brutalism style and uh, Eastern European architecture and no matter how hard I tried sometimes to get some neon out of him but nope nope we're going dreary we're going Eastern European screw you <laughs> so uh how did you so in those conversations i guess you, you've got this yeah as you said it's quite dreary how did you get that modern um uh, not sorry modern uh, futuristic sort of look to, to it like um can can you explain the question so not quite sure i understand so i i guess uh when you go like that sort of east asian uh route that you were talking about it's, it's much easier to look uh futuristic and stuff ah, whereas right, i got you when it's I got a bit you. more darker and grim or dreary, as you sort of said, it's uh, yeah, with, that, so, with that Eastern European because yep. it's you know a bit more uh, different style there. Yeah, how did you make? How did you future futurize? I don't know if that's even a word. Yeah, I guess it's, it's a word now. <laughs> I got you now. Yeah. Um, so in architecture, there is not too much futuristic to see um, because I think it's not necessarily what will happen in the future. If you look around all the European towns uh, in the last hundred to two hundred years. Not too much has changed, you know. Of course, everything has been updated. There are some new glass skyscrapers or so, but the city centers are still pretty much the way that they were. So I think in a setting like Bornholm, uh, so Bornpunk is set on the island of Bornholm, there wouldn't be too much of a difference to what a European city would look like now. There would rather be additions. So you would see some 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 laser barriers somewhere or even some um, new parts of new architectural styles added to old buildings stuff like that and that's what you see um, and one of the first scenes you're on the roof of a bar and on that roof of the bar are a couple of shacks built on top of it which is the, the new trashy cyberpunk look on top of a uh, traditional building so i think that's how we managed to get a little bit of futurism in without without going full east asia yeah nice so as you said it's uh, set in denmark what why Denmark? What made you choose Denmark? I, but there's, there's two reasons. A, I like islands. So okay. um, I wanted the game to be set on an island. Uh, I'm just, if there was a sexual fetish about islands, I would probably have it. <laughs> okay. Um, and uh, I, I hope you have the set to that, um, to that, to that shitty meme song, Island Boys. I don't know if you've ever, I you, do, I've you... heard of the Island Boys. Yeah. Yeah. I, hope, I don't uh... think I've heard the song, but I've seen an interview with them. Well, it was a little bit, Whoa, okay. Yeah. You know, if that's going to kill any sort of island fetish, I think uh, 
That would Good, be yeah. Good. I, I, I don't plan to actually develop an island fetish. I think it would be quite complicated <laughs> in its execution. <laughs> Probably. You know, um, getting an island all for you. Never mind. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, and this, the, second, the second factor was that I definitely wanted a setting that wasn't overused. So uh, in the point-and-click sphere, for example, we have Watched Eye Games, who are specialized on New York. And they are great at what they're doing, but New York is a very, very overuse setting as far as I'm concerned and no dis and watch it I none whatsoever just want to point out that the setting um, same way Tokyo which is a classic uh, cyberpunk setting is overused or Shanghai stuff like that and Bonholm uh, in the current day setting is still well basically an agricultural island with a couple thousand of people living on there so I thought it would, wouldn't be fun to make within the universe of the game make some geopolitical things happen which would force that island to become a massive metropolis so i just thought it would be a fresh idea yeah nice did you ever consider australia or nah uh not really no too big of an island it's 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 too big of an <laughs> island i think that the lines between island and continent are too blurry in that yeah. case i mean we could imagine you know australia being well, completely Tassie, built up where i'm from that's true that's true that would work probably yeah Perhaps Bon Punk 2, uh, Return to Tasmania. That's <laughs> it. <laughs> um, so, okay, so point and clicks, they're not, they're not a sexy genre, you know. Though they're still a, a pretty thriving indie sort of scene there. What made you exactly go, yep, I want to make a point and click game? Uh, again, two reasons. The first reason is that point and clicks were the very first games that I grew up on and with. So the Sierra games, the... And the Lucasfilm, then later LucasArts games, were the things that my father first threw in my face when I was, yeah, as I said, four or five years old. Um, so the genre was always close to my heart. And secondly, and this may not be a, a glorious reason, but it's an honest reason, um, I thought it to be easier to start with as a developer than, than uh, genres like turn-based strategy games or, or, or stuff like RimWorld, which would also be within my interest. Uh, but I thought, and it may be a bit much to tackle because with point-and-click adventures, um, of course, I don't know how Born Punk will be received, but I think in the end, if you got the engine figured out, if you got your, 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 your puzzle pieces in place, it's all about the story, it's all about the puzzles, it's all about the characters, and you can, you can get away with not so much focusing on technical details, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, that's a pretty good reason. I, I did, like, I don't want to say I assumed that, but I thought that could be part of the reason why, because not, not that they're easy to make, but, you know, it's, you know, it's probably easier for a, a smaller team to to make a game to like tackle something like that then you yeah, know like i mean the, yeah point and clicks have, have to have other challenges so i definitely noticed you know the, the the amount of text that you write is much much uh bigger than than almost any other genre i would say perhaps yeah. rpgs have more or or a similar amount of text uh the amount of voice acting which is expected really and in, in this day and age uh, that you have to do is staggering and the amount of time i spent just editing sound files uh directing voice actors and stuff like that that's it's challenging and it's it's, it's not easy. No, I'm uh, I'm keen to play it. I'm keen to play it. So I want to talk a little bit about uh, some of the staples of point and click games, and we've kind of mentioned yeah. them a little bit there. So puzzles are probably one of the biggest ones uh, for point and click games. You know, they're known for their puzzles, uh, which they can be a little bit obtuse at times. Uh, so I wanted to just talk about how you approached 
the puzzle design for Born Punk. Because uh, I've read on your, uh, I think it's the Steam page or the, web, the website that uh, you have logical puzzles. So I just, I just want to sort of find Which is out basically what, what everyone says. But, yeah, I know. Yeah. But I want to figure out what, what does that actually mean for like, um, in, f- in terms of Born Punk? For me, logical means that uh, when the puzzle is solved, the player should not think, I would have never thought of that without trial and error. Uh, so um, lots, lots of adventure games, exactly, especially in the, in the first years after the genre was created, were very moon logically. So you use a... I don't know, a pen to insert it into an elephant butt and the elephant butt con- makes the elephant spout water, the water fills a fountain and then you can get a coin out of the fountain because the, co- the coin is made out of plastic and floats to the surface, stuff like that. That's a little bit oof. Out is that there. a puzzle in uh, Born Punk? Uh, no, but now that you say it, I think I just created the best puzzle ever probably. <laughs> you did. Uh, it's, 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 it's all a bit, in, in Born Punk it's a bit more straightforward. I wouldn't call the puzzle difficulty in Bon Punk well, if there was a scale between 1 and 10 I would probably give Bon Punk a 4 in uh, difficulty I just would like the gameplay to be flowing steadily I don't want the player to be stuck for too long because I'm more interested in telling the story than frustrating the player with, with uh, too hard a puzzle honestly yeah I, uh, late last year I, ch- I had a chat with uh, Charles Cecil um, and we we spoke about puzzles and because he sort of has the same approach, you know, he wants them to be logical or uh, puzzles that make sense in that world, um, not trying to shove a pen up an elephant butt, as you said. Um, <laughs> so th- that's yeah. cool because I do think, you know, going back and playing some older games at times or even some some new games now that I've played uh, point and clicks that, you know, you go, how do I even, what do I need to do here? Like, like yeah, logically, like I know what I need to do. Like I need to open this gate, but... You know, um, sometimes they just make it, you know, you got to combine this with that, go and talk to this character, he'll give you this, and then you go and open the gate. Um, so I, I do like when the, when yeah, when they flow, because I think the gameplay in point and clicks, if you get stuck for too long, it, it, it quickly becomes frustrating. Um, I also think, yeah. and this may, uh, may be a bit, well, not shocking, no, I think we'll be all aware of that. I think point and clicks are very much liked by an older generation right, right, right now. Uh, so not necessarily, and I, I include myself in that one, uh, not necessarily people who have all too much time to get stuck in puzzles. Um, and well, I, I don't want to get stuck for six hours. I would probably just open a walkthrough, I'll be honest. So and that's, that's the kind of person I'm making this for. Well, that's, that's, it's, uh, that's one of the questions I actually asked Charles. I was like, you know, back in the day, you know, people didn't have the internet to sort of go to and, and look up walkthroughs. Yeah. You know, they had to solve it themselves or... Or wait for someone to make a walkthrough somewhere, because yeah, like you're right. Like people these days don't have as much time, and with so many games available, it's just you know people get stuck, they get frustrated. That, the that, competition is that's stiff. enough. This game shit. I'm moving on, kind of thing. So. <laughs> yeah. Another thing I would like to mention, perhaps, is that some puzzles I would say uh, aren't even difficult at all, like a one or two. But um, there's various approaches to them that, if you think harder about the puzzle and choose a more complicated or less obvious option, you may get a better, better story outcome in okay. Punk. So th- that's also something that we do. Uh, so uh, one, one very specific example, sorry to, to interrupt you. That's um, good. One very specific example from the very beginning is, I don't think it's much of a spoiler, um, the, the, one of the main characters wakes up, uh, needs to get out of the room, the lock doesn't work. 
you can do various things to open the lock or you can just take your gun and shoot it. That's the most straightforward option. You have the gun item from the very beginning, shoot the lock and you're out. But A, you have wasted a bullet, which you may need later in the game. Um, and, and B, you know, the characters in the game, they usually don't like it when locks are being shot in the house that they live in. So there's going to be story consequences for that as well. Yeah, well, uh, I was just going to say that's actually, um, I'm glad that you brought that up because that, that was actually my next question is that you've got that Born Punk will have choices and consequences. So is it uh, in the sense that there's a good ending and a bad ending or is it just uh, um, different it's, endings? It's, it's, it's the Mass Effect green, blue, uh, red ending basically for now. Okay. <laughs> so there's various variables that go into uh, the ending. So it, it's not exactly a trinary. I don't know if trinary is a thing, but it's a word now instead of binary, trinary. Um, so many variables play into which of the three endings you get. Um, but I wanted there to only be three endings because I want to continue the story and I want to be able to continue the story in a way that doesn't complicate the future too much. Because if there's 10 endings now, that means then the next game has 10 endings as well. That means that there's 10 times 10 endings and then it, it, it just complicates things further. That's further. too small for 10 endings. I can tell you that much. <laughs> yeah. so there's choices and consequences some are just uh, uh, some are contained within the puzzle some are contained within story chapters and some uh, have the consequences uh, that, that some have consequences that reach the end of the game okay just a couple of quick fire questions uh, just circling back very quickly to puzzles will there be a hint system um, right now, no. I don't think it's needed, but uh, based on feedback, I'd be happy to, to put one in if, if there would be a big call for, for it. Uh, wouldn't be too complicated. I don't think it's necessary, honestly. Okay. And the second one is, will it have controller support? Um, right now, I have not yet coded controller support in. That is one of the last things I want to do in development yep. because... I'm going to be frankly here. I'm a bit of a PC elitist and uh, my mouse and keyboard is my bread and butter and all that. Uh, but just today, a friend of mine tried the Bon Punk demo out on the Steam Deck uh, and it's working perfectly there, apparently. Nice. Um, but yeah, if I have the time, I will definitely add controller support um, before launch. If not at launch, then definitely post launch. How long do you reckon it would roughly take to finish Bon Punk? That's a good question. It's it's hard to answer honestly mm. because from from my perspective, you know, I can I can probably speed run it in forty minutes or so. Um, I mean, I'm gonna take a wild guess now. I think if somebody who wants to listen to every dialogue, to every item description, to every uh, branch of the story, somebody who takes it slow, I would guess fourteen hours, fifteen hours. Um, somebody who skips dialogues, just does the absolutely necessary puzzles and uh, takes the easy option out of every given situation. Five, six. So I think there's a there's a wide vari variety that's yeah. possible. Nice. So yeah, so it seems like there's a little bit of replayability there to. Uh, yes. To the, go through and yeah, you know, try and get a different. Yeah, you you will. I'm I'm not gonna lie and say it's gonna be a completely different game on a second playthrough. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, so it's not quite like an RPG, but I think the differences are significant enough to warrant a second playthrough, yeah. Nice. Um, so just back onto, I guess, the staples, and you kind of mentioned it just before uh, about the pixel art, um, and you kind of just, that's just what the artist went with. When you first uh, envisioned sort of Born Punk, did you have another art style in mind, or was it just whatever you could 
I was really open to everything because I, I myself am absolutely untalented when it comes to the visual arts. So I, I couldn't, I couldn't, I can't, I can't draw anything. I can draw a, cat, a stick cat, maybe. <laughs> um, so for me, it was, I think, as I said earlier, for me, it was more important to have an artist with whom I vibe, with whom I can uh, exchange ideas, who can work independently, who brings his own vision in that, into the game, because... I think artists work the best when they have a blank slate to work with and as much freedom as they can possibly have. I think the more specific you become, the less you don't need an artist, you need a bot. Okay. Um, yep. And yeah, with Indrek, it was it, immediately when I saw his art, I thought, yep, that's it. He got it. He got that style from, from the olden the days job. with his very own take to it. So I loved yep. it from the from a very get go. Nice. And just uh, with the writing, I'm going to assume that you did the writing of the, of the game. Yeah. How uh, how challenging was that to to write like a full game? Um, interesting question. I don't even know if I have a proper answer for that. I love writing, um, and I think we have. Uh, I mean, one of our main characters, Evie, she has 2,400 lines alone. Uh, we, I think we have about 120,000 words in the game, all things considered. So it's a book and a half. Yeah. Um, so from the writing flow, I wouldn't call it a challenge. I think the biggest challenge when it came to writing was keeping everything consistent. Because um, I'm I'm not one to plan ahead too much. I like to write as I go. Often, of course, with a with a general outline in my head at all times. But but um, I like I like my characters to let me. Su I want to get surprised by my own characters, basically. Uh, and yeah, keeping things consistent without just taking everything too far or making logical errors, inconsistency errors. That's that that was a big challenge. Do you have a? This is a tough question, but do you have a? Do you have a favorite character? It hurts in my heart to <laughs> every time. I actually do, but, but it changes. I, I mean, this is a kind of a cop-out question, but not really. Depending on the time of the day, depending on, on the season, my main, uh, yeah, my favorite character switches. So for a long time, it was Mariposa, just because I loved the idea um, of this corporate CEO as a playable character instead of just the villain. Um, Evie has, has a... Has a uh, place in my heart always because she was the first character and she's the quintessential cyberpunk character i love flash because i don't think anybody has ever done something like flash a, a, an android who has a malfunction thinks he's a gangster rapper um i love it's them all unique. but i'm gonna i'm gonna stop i'm gonna stop with the cop ads i'm gonna say probably flash okay nice just uh on okay let's i'm gonna go a little bit into the sound sort of design here and the main theme is composed by and I, i'm probably gonna get this name wrong too Jeff Kurtnacker? That's correct. Yeah, That's he's, correct. An, he's an American, so you can pronounce it just like you would. Uh, and he actually worked on WoW. He walked, worked yeah. on, the, on the sound design for uh, World of Warcraft, which is huge. Cause that, you know, so what was it like working with uh, or collaborating with someone who has worked on one of the biggest IPs in gaming? It was great. And I mean, the, I only got to know about him because he also was the main composer on the MMO Wildstar. Um, which was something that my wife and I love, used to love to play and the soundtrack blew us away back then. Uh, and one day I just thought, I kind of want Jeff Curtin, I could do my, my soundtrack, but he probably wouldn't have time for me. It's, that was my thought, but my wife said, you'll never know without trying, just, just write him. So I indeed wrote him and he, no, I actually just got laid off from Wildstar, stuff like that. 
uh, so I have time and um, it was great. We even met in LA. Well, nice. um, I had a, had a day out. I got far too drunk. Sorry, Jeff. <laughs> um, and uh, he's a very, very nice person in person and he did a great job uh, with the main track he even sang the lyrics of the main theme um, and he was worth every penny nice is it just the one just just the main theme that he's got N- no we have seven uh, no eight tracks with him uh, which is the main theme main theme with vocals plus uh, six atmospheric songs um, and then we have some that sounds diminishing, but we have secondary composers as well, all of which are what I find very cool and awesome, um, who, who supplied us with more scene-specific um, music pieces. Well, I was going to ask, uh, you know, it's it's cyberpunk, so there's got to be some uh, synthwave bangers in there. Yeah, there, there is some synthwave. Uh, <laughs> with with Jeff, uh, the our, our goal was to add some Nordic theme traditional music to the cyberpunk wavy th- stuff um which i think worked well but we do have a basically an exclusively synth wavy composer on board as well jonathan exley and yeah, yeah he did some of the more classical 80s wave things which one would expect i'm keen uh keen to give those a a listen uh just sort of with the sound design uh voice acting i I noticed, and I actually haven't got it written down here, sorry, but one of the voice actors for one of the characters has actually worked on uh, Fallout 76, and there was a couple of other titles there. Um, again, like, it's, you know, it's great that you can get these, you know, I, don't know, I don't want to say big names, but, you know, these people who have who have worked on big titles before. Yeah, and for, unfortunately, we, we, we have a new voice actor for Eevee. Now you're talking about our old voice actress for, for Eevee. My apologies. Um, but, but nonetheless, uh, yeah, almost everybody, well, the, the main cast who, who works with us, also, it's not, it's not, by the way, listeners, it's not his fault. He did his research. It has not been updated on any of our media. So. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> all the main cast has a lot of experience uh, with video games, in film, and um, well, al- almost all other media, and I think it's really paying off. So we, we are working with um, some very new voice actors, some voice actors who have a little bit of experience and some voice actors like the main cast who have years and years of experience. And it's great to see um, the evolution between the three. It's great to work with new voice actors as well. There's a lot of directing involved, but um, they, they, are, they are capable of delivering excellent results. But with the main cast, I almost don't have to do anything. I don't I almost don't have to direct. They, they, they know much more than I do about how to, how to voice stuff. Uh, so I can basically sit back and just watch the magic happen, which is great and helps me tremendously because, again, 2,400 lines, just one character, and yeah. So uh, are all the um, voice, voice roles filled? Because I know that you put a tweet out uh, you know, sort of saying, hey, is anyone interested in, in you know, potentially looking at uh, voice acting here? One of the guys who uh, writes for Well Played, he's actually like a part-time voice actor. And I know he's doing some work in another Aussie game. I, I can't remember the title, but I told him to reach out. So I don't know if he uh, did or not. But um, look, <laughs> if, if you need any more people, he he probably can't do a German accent though. So. Right. Oh, no. German role was filled. I, I tried voicing it myself, but nah, I can't do it. I'm not really a voice actor. <laughs> uh Sorry, was there a question? I think uh, oh, I lost no, the thread. Just, it was more okay. of a more of a 
a statement. Yeah, that's, kind that's of, cool, um, yeah. Um, I know, yeah, I think there was a question, wasn't it? If the voice acting was all done now. Oh, yeah, sorry, yeah. yeah. If it was all done or not. Uh, not completely, because I wanted to, to have enough time to make last-minute changes to the text, and uh, voice acting does cost a lot, so I didn't want to double-record things. Um, but I would say we're now, like, 80% through with the voice recordings, uh, and it's a, it's a pretty standard procedure now, so, yeah, doesn't take much effort anymore. We're recording this on April 27. The game launches on June 15th? 16th. 15th. Uh, let me interrupt you for one second. 15th of June is indeed the, the planned release date. Uh, we are currently considering doing it a week later um, because the Steam Next Festival is on that exact week. And I'm not sure if that would perhaps negatively impact the sales. So it may be that I'm going to go, eh, well, actually, one week later, but I'm not sure yet. Yeah. But well, either um, then or then. Yeah. So I would probably, yeah, I think it probably sounds a good idea to, to move it because um, you don't want to get buried. Um, no. During no, that. No, not uh, really. No. No. Um, not quite as a, bad as releasing the same day as Cyberpunk 277. No. But yeah. No. There, oh, there was a question I had. I can't remember what I... Oh, yeah. So the release date. So... Right here, like right now, you know, in the words of is it Prodigy, um, <laughs> how complete is the game? 100%. Uh, 100%. The game is completely playable from start to finish. Um, today, I actually finished the last menu. Uh, so, yeah, like options menu and, and the save load menu and all that. Uh, well, that's a lie because the credits aren't written yet. So, there's a credits menu still. But the game itself is, is 100% playable now. Awesome. That's great. All right, we'll, we'll move away a little, little bit from, from Born Punk and we'll, and we'll talk about uh, the studio itself. So I've got to ask, what's, what's the story behind the name? So the studio name is Insert Disc 22, and I've, I know there's a story there. Yeah, as a, as a point and clicker, you actually should know. I'm going to yeah, chide you. It's, uh, well, I'm going to say MI for uh, initials. Right. So, gotcha. Yeah, uh, it is indeed from Monkey Island. Uh, and I'm sorry to have assumed that you wouldn't know. <laughs> That's all right. Uh, it's it's from a it's from a scene in Monkey Island where Garbage Threepwood, the main character, is is walking through the woods and he uh, comes across a tree stump. And when interacting with the tree stump, the game trolls you and tells you that now you have to insert. Uh, after a couple of tries of interacting with the tree stump, it tells you to insert this twenty-two. The game does not have a disc twenty-two, so it's a I think it's Classic an elaborate and funny troll. Yeah. And uh, I thought, what better way to indicate that our company is indeed making point-and-click adventures than making a reference to one of the greats? And Monkey Island is my all-time favorite, so okay, yeah, well, as day. That was that was a question I've got sort of uh, down here as well. Is what are some of your favorite point-and-click games? So Monkey Island or the uh, series? Number one would be Monkey Island Two because I think uh, that that game improved on the first Monkey Island tremendously. I think the the humor is unrivaled. Loved the um, the scum engine loved the I, I forgot what it was called they had this sound system music system that was able to play music uh, yeah, that was sure. adapting to how you played kind of emus maybe I don't know um, I liked how they did the uh, famous casual or hardcore mode back then already uh, which they have repeated for Thimbleweed Park I've actually uh, never played that which is surprising 
I, I've not played it myself, but I watched my wife give me a Let's Play, basically, because she played it in bed next to me, so I, I got the playthrough like that. <laughs> um, and then, then after that come the Sierra games, I would say. So all the quests, the King's Quest, the Police Quests, um, all that, and uh, then the Indiana Jones games, and then all the other awesome adventures. But as I'm a big fan of nostalgia i have to put all these older games first before the greatness that we produce now i've got to ask what, what, what are your thoughts on broken sword because that would be my favorite point and click series um broken sword is actually one of these uh games that i also have just played via a let's play of my okay. life yeah, right. <laughs> um i love the animations i love the story um can i be honest not so much of a fan of the little bit sterile backgrounds i would say but that that's completely subjective that is not an objective criticism um, that's right. in bon punk i i try to make every scene be as active and busy as possible everything should be moving so i did uh, i did want to go away a little bit from this um still life painting kind of theme that many bon uh, sorry that many adventures have nice uh are there any adventure games in the past let's five years let's go that, that that have really taken your uh your heart various um gibbous was one good game um guard duty was one unavowed who, who can say point and click adventure games without unavowed or, or, or ron gilbert these days ron gilbert <laughs> i mean watch it um yeah i would say those three are the ones that come to mind first but yeah, Gibbous Gib on the top spot because I think Gibbous did a great. That was a great direction. game. Yeah, I did. I did love that game. Um, and they're making another one. So that studio is making another game called Near Mage, yeah. which I I, I I would hope they make another one because the thing was a huge success that game. Yeah, I backed it on Kickstarter, so they're they're working on that. Just quickly on Monkey Island. So this is actually a question I was going to ask a bit a bit later on, but we're here now, so we may as well. But so you would have heard. Uh, they're making a new Monkey Island game, uh, which is great. Oh my god, you're is... going to ask that question, aren't you? Are you going to play? I'm going to ask that question. Oh god, that's an easy <laughs> question. Thank you. Bloody that hell. wasn't the question, but I thought I better change it up. <laughs> uh, I'm definitely going to play it. Yeah, there's no way I wouldn't. No, of course, no. So the question I had was just, what do you think the impact that this game will have on the point-and-click adventure genre? Good. That, is, that is also a good question because I, I really feared he would be asking the question, what do you think about the graphic style? Which, which oh, would then no, result no. in me going, um, um, uh, mm. um, what impact it will have? I don't think it will have a bigger impact than Thimbleweed Park had. I think at this point, the point and click adventure community is pretty much locked in. Of course, there's new people coming uh, into the genre every day. But I don't think that the point-and-click genre itself, um, no matter what we do, has the ability to to make a like a like a boom impact on the rest of the gaming sphere. I think we're past that point. I think we're a niche genre, and I think that's fine. Um, so I would say probably a bit bigger than Thimbleweed Park, but not necessarily a a blockbuster that echoes beyond our little sphere. No. I I would agree. And I, with, I, with full respect, once more, I have to say that with full respect to Ron Gilbert and his team. No, I, I think it's going to have that impact where it comes out and maybe for a while more eyes will be on other point-click titles. But I, yeah, I, I don't think it's going to like uh, revitalize 
not sorry that probably sounds a bit negative but you know it's, it's not going to give it this massive boost which makes it you know and then suddenly everyone's making I do th- point, I do point think you're right that when it comes out I think there's there's going to be more eyes on 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 point and clicks again and I think this will um directly and positively impact other other developers it's just yeah in in the grand scheme of things I, I don't think it will be that yeah it will it will not be a revitalization because a I don't think we need one <laughs> but b um I think we 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 are a a healthy genre yeah, well, there's a like I said earlier, there's a thriving community of um, point-and-click games, and I, and I try and cover as many as possible. There's tons coming out that um, you know I've got my eye on that like look great and um, yeah, it's, and, uh, it's pretty amazing. Born Punk's definitely one of those. So, and I have Thank I've, you. I've dabbled. Uh, I played the demo probably a year and a bit ago now, so my memory's a bit fuzzy on that. But I did I did like um, what I did play so if, right. funnily enough if, if i may funnily enough uh, we, we got really really good feedback for the demo there's only one place that is a bit scathing and that's uh adventuregamers.com oh, no. i see you buggers <laughs> <laughs> you need them on your side uh no well fingers crossed we can well not we but you can change their mind uh when the game comes out oh th- thankfully it, it was mostly um criticism about the style not well the, the 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 easy puzzle in the demo basically that was the main criticism which, which i'm fine with because it was meant to be easy so yeah we're, we're good and I, and I love these folks and uh it's it's also good to have negative feedback because at one point and i, I don't want to i don't want to sound all you know i'm a i'm a complete noob in the games industry, but it was a li- becoming a little bit um, scary that most of the feedback we got was really positive. So we're sitting there like, yeah, but I don't trust this. There needs to be something bad. I'm sure there's something bad. Now I'm going to release the game and it's going to be all bad and nobody told me about it and it's going to be shit. And <laughs> so it's good to hear it. Yeah. No, yeah, I definitely think uh, bad feedback is, is needed um, across all platforms. So even when, you know, the stuff that we do, like, what's you know what's something that we can improve on kind of stuff but i want to talk about your past life as a streamer Uh-oh. or a oh, as a streamer that's fine content Thanks. creator well <laughs> we might dive a bit deeper. so after i fled from cuba and i uh, hit the million dollars um yeah you made born pipe there we go so all right so, so t- talk to us about that so how because when you first told me that i was like okay did not expect that because you know you don't you know it's probably it's not a wouldn't say it's a natural progression to to game dev but i like strangely it. enough it isn't yeah but uh yeah so tell us about the streamer life and the and how that was for you and how you got started and yes yeah, so that all started in 2014 when we moved to australia because uh, when we moved to australia we came because of my wife's job um She's a physicist, as I said, and she got a job offer from Australia. I wanted to get out of Germany anyway. Actually, before we met, just before we met, I had plans to emigrate to Ireland. I wanted to get out anyway. She got a job offer from Australia. I said, cool. Honestly, I never had Australia on my radar at all because, okay, it's a, it's Australia is down there. Yeah, cool. Well, the, the p- people live there and, 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 and Crocodile well, Dundee comes from there. And People think that we're not a real place, so you got to be careful. You never know. That is true. <laughs> We all know that Belgium is the place that is not real, but anyway, <laughs> um, and I had to, I had to have I had to have something to do really, and uh, I was self-employed before, and I thought, okay, uh, I 
don't know what to do with my life. So I just started streaming, started YouTubing a little bit, and it actually pretty quickly took off. And uh, I think in 2016, I was able to become a Twitch partner, um, nice. which kept me happy for a couple of years. And uh, after Bomb Punk is out, I mean, we're going to continue working on Bomb Punk. We're going to continue working on the sequel, but I would like to at least part-time go back into streaming as well. Um, but yeah, the, 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 the point of streaming was always just to entertain people, to have a little bit of, of, of harmless fun, to make a bit of a living, which at, after a couple of years became more stressful than anything to do it full-time. Uh, and I think many streamers experience that kind of burnout syndrome. You always have to be online. You always have to put your best face on. You always yep. have to be happy. Uh, Twitch also is not necessarily a platform that can give you lots of stability. Um, and the prospect of developing a game instead or additionally sounded very good because that would mean having a, a second leg to stand on. And uh, now it's become the first leg. <laughs> And streaming is supposed to take a, well, basically a, um, take a step break. back in the yeah. future. I also joined the Army Reserves, so I have three, three legs to stand on now. And I hope that'll be, that'll be yeah, fine well, for the that future. That was another question I, I've got, which um, when you said that, I was like, what? Does he mean like the Defense Force? Or is he talking about something else? And I was like, uh, this, there's this, this streamer, game designer, soldier. Like just... yeah. Yeah, I, I like I like doing many different things. Uh, but so, how did that come about? Um, again, a question that has a few answers. Really, the first answer would probably be: I'm very, very grateful to what Australia allowed me to be and to do. Um, Film Victoria is partly financing Bon Punk, and they've pumped a not insignificant amount of money in the game, and they have a lot of trust in the game. Um, the taxes here, even if many people may not believe it, are much better than, than in Germany. Uh, Self-employed people, company owners have much more support from the government. Um, the Australians as a people have accepted me so so amazingly well. I feel at home here. I wanted to give something back. Um, and coupled with the desire to get my body back into shape, which it is now, but wasn't two years ago, I thought, all right, giving back to, to society and losing weight and getting jacked again army doesn't sound too bad yeah and yeah it's it's a it's actually a great club of people and enjoying it the the, mo the money that one earns on the side is is secondary it's it's really the experience and all the, the benefits psychologically and physically that one gets that are really great yeah so what does it actually entail so when you are uh with the defense force what are you you know you're getting up at 4 a.m. peeling potatoes nah. or no? Nah. <laughs> uh, it's you. You basically only have to serve one day a week as a reservist. Um, w one day a week in the evening, uh, one week in a month, and uh, approximately two weeks every year. That that's what they want from day. They they as a reservist, they adapt to you rather than the other way around. Um, for the full-time soldiers, yeah, it's it's kind of it can be like that, depending on which corps you're in. But as a reservist, uh, your real life, your job comes first, and they adapt to your life. Um, you, there's a little bit of a minimum requirement. I think you have to do like 20 days minimum or so. But apart from that, you can come and go as you please, as long as you stay active. Cool. So d just quickly back onto the the streaming. Sorry, because I I meant to ask this question, but. Uh, at your peak, 
what so what what sort of subscribers or followers uh what number did you have i think was i was at nine thousand something nice. uh followers and um subscribers were never that high maybe yeah. 250 or 300 okay, yeah. uh my community was always uh more about these direct donations they just just love donating money directly to see me do stupid shit like dancing in a cat suit, the classical prostitution of the streamer. I mean, you got to do what you got to do, you know. You got to so. do what you got to do, yeah. Money has to be made. That's it. That's Sacrifices it. have to be made. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So, how, how did the studio actually come about? So, you've played Monkey Island. You've gone, all right, I love point and clicks. I've got a name, but I need a company. So, I, I guess, when did you know that... A, like you, that you wanted to be a game developer and, and B, when, when was it like, all right, um, starting insert disc 20. So the, I want, the, I want to be this kind of thought process evolved along the process that I described earlier from the mid 2018, um, segment up to Kickstarter when Kickstarter, when our Kickstarter was successful, it was a done deal, obviously. Then it was, yeah, yeah it's on now. Um, the company itself was more of a necessity than, than anything else. It's just a, a, text, a, a tax and legal thing, basically. I would have been happy to stay just self-employed and work with contractors. But um, it is much safer to operate under, under, well, with a company rather than your own name for, for legal reasons. I, I hate legalese, but that was what was recommended, so I went with it. Now, I'm happy because knowing that there's this... this um, grander organization so to say and not just my name makes it from makes it feel like a team for me otherwise it would probably be i would be thinking a little bit like okay it's me and there's people working with me but due to the company and due to the company name it feels more like a community kind of yeah if that makes sense so how many people work for insert this 22 like what's the team yeah um you mean the people yeah yeah, yeah. so like, yeah it, or is it just you kind of thing and then contractors. Uh, I'm the only one employed right now because simply, simply said, we can't afford uh, wages at this point. I hope to be able to afford wages after launch, yep. um, and then things will change. For now, it was just contractors, and but there were, there's a lot of people who were involved over the course of the game. Uh, so as I said, we have Indrek, our pixel artist. We had uh, Jan, who is from uh, the Czech Republic, who did concept art. We have um, two Australians who wrote part of the lore. So there's also this, this whole lore thing in Born Punk, where there's an extra menu, like, like again, like Mass Effect, kind of. Um, we have, I think, two dozen voice actors. We have a person from Spain who helped me uh, customize the engine a little bit for our purposes and, and helped me write a couple of functions. We have all... all kinds of different people i think the credits list is surely going to have about 40 to 50 people plus the thousand kickstarter backers and everything but yeah there's lots of people who worked with me during the development and i would not have thought to have worked with so many people when it all started yeah so i want to ask about the kickstarter but i've just got to pump up the brakes for a second because you, you said something earlier which i was like what and then i forgot <laughs> and then i've just remembered so on here, you've confirmed that you're working well. There will be a sequel to Born Punk. I very, very, very much hope so. If it's a complete flop, no. I, I can't dedicate my life to something that 
people reject. But of course, I hope that this will not be the case. And should there even be only be a modicum of success, then I'm very, 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 very uh, dedicated to continuing the franchise because I, I want Bon Punk to be a franchise. I would like it to be a, a universe, basically. Well, the next stop is Tazzy. We've all heard it here. That, <laughs> yeah, that's Bon the Punk scoot. 2, Tazzy. It may be Bon Punk 3, though, because I may, I may already have promised Indrek to make Bon Punk 2 actually Bon Purr, the adventures of Faxina the Cat. So <laughs> this okay. May, this may happen. Yeah, yeah. that's all right. I'll take that. <laughs> okay. So yeah, okay. So just so the Kickstarter, which I was gonna yeah mention before, but so you you actually had a goal of fourteen thousand. So yeah. Quick question uh, before that, you you did me uh, mention Film Victoria, but I'm gonna assume that uh, a lot of the game has been funded by your own savings, uh, and then also Film uh, Film Film Vic. So uh, that fourteen thousand dollar figure was that. Uh, was that figure just enough to get it finished or was that like a little bit left over in case stuff goes wrong or was that like every dollar that we can uh, yep. use is accounted gotcha. for here? Uh, no, Kickstarter was never meant to completely fund the game. Uh, I didn't have, or rather, I think it would have been foolish to expect that, to expect that kind of money, uh, especially considering how much living in Australia costs. <laughs> um um, but rather, yeah, I thought it to be um, a good way to get the game into the public sphere, get get the game some attention, plus get a part of the funding. I always expected to work part-time to finance the game um, and basically have most of the funding come from myself. Film Victoria made that redundant because uh, thanks to Film Victoria, I could work, I was able to work on the game much more than I thought I would be able to um and kickstarter uh got us so to say if you want to put it in, in into financial chunks got us through the first year um, which was great so every 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 cent of external funding helped me spend more time on the game rather than adding features so uh, that that is something that uh, and i think i made a mistake at the beginning of the kickstarter campaign not really making it absolutely clear um, there were stretch goals, and one of the stretch goals were, were translations into Italian, for example. And uh, the stretch goal was only $2,000 further than the previous stretch goal. And the criticism I got was, you can't translate that game for $2,000. And I said, yeah, that's correct. But the $2,000 weren't necessarily meant to be the full financing for that stretch goal, but rather, if I get this additional amount of money, I will also do this. It was not meant to to reflect the complete cost, the total cost of of the associated item. Mm. So you actually raised more, or sorry, no, you almost raised fifty thousand dollars. So you had a goal of fourteen, but you raised nearly fifty. So that's that's awesome. Like 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 you would have seen that and gone, shit yeah, um, time to cancel the project Cheers. and move to Bornholm. Um, yeah, again, move move back to Cuba, pay off my debts <laughs> there. Uh, yeah, but uh, you know like. <laughs> That's awesome, and, and since uh, since it's actually finished, you've uh, you've raised more than fifty thousand dollars in total with uh, post Kickstarter pledges. So, um, how much has that helped uh, make it a make it an easier process for you to just focus on the game and, and not sort of having to worry about money as much? Very much so, and that was that is the big benefit of external funding. I would say the freedom to work on the project that you love, because I think many, if not most 
um, point-and-click adventure developers right now, if not most indie devs, are w working part-time on their game. Or even even if that, some some of them just work in the evening hours or on the weekend, and uh, this can delay projects. This can make it hard to concentrate on anything. But uh, the, the, sorry, that's not what I mean to say. Um, it can make it hard to concentrate on the project as a whole because you're not really in it, if that makes sense. Because you can only spend like two hours a day or so on it. Um, so yeah, if, if the question. If we would reword the question to what is the biggest benefit of external funding, it would be time rather rather than features. And I would advise every other deaf who would be in a similar situation to be grateful for the time that you get because that is a big privilege that yeah. only few people have. But the fifty thousand dollars, I mean, or you know, the amount that you pulled in from Kickstarter, like that would have you would have got that and been like, you know, people actually want to play. You know, there there are more people yeah. than what I thought who are interested in 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 this game, which would have been a massive boost. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, it's also a psychological boost, as in, wow, there's actually interest. And uh, since we also put out a demo with the Kickstarter, it was clear, okay, so we're not producing complete garbage. People actually played the demo and said, okay, I'm going to throw some money at them. That That is definitely a big thing. And uh, um, obviously, it did help that I did have a presence on, on Twitch and YouTube before, though. So I think it would be much harder for, for people who have not made... Um, a name for themselves in the online sphere, as strange as it may sound. And that is actually something if I may uh, give as an advice, even though I am a complete noob to, to other new developers, I think it may be worthwhile building up one's social media presence first before going into game dev fully, because it really, really helps. It really, really makes things easier rather than having to start at the very bottom of trying to to get you know the, the, the smallest piece of attention. Yeah, if it for sure. W would you do Kickstarter again? Good question. Um, if I can, I would rather finance everything myself in the future. If I can. That is not to say that I don't like Kickstarter or that it's shit to have to rely or to, to, to be responsible to um, these people. But rather, it would take further stress out if there's enough money available to, to develop up everything on my own. Uh, but yeah, I would do it again. Uh, I would also go to film Victoria again, if need be, um, because I think I do really, really like what we're doing, what I'm doing, and I would like to con continue it going into the future. And it's not like I'm standing here with a pistol trying to force anybody to give me money. It's still a voluntary transaction, so I don't feel too bad about it. <laughs> um, so we've talked about the funding. I want to ask just about how necessary... No, not how. So you were a streamer. So before that, you said that you were self-employed. So, so what? So what did you do before? Before you were a streamer, that was in Germany still, and uh, I was a translator and a data typist and a business consultant. I apparently always have to do three things or something. Nice. Um, yeah, I uh, I did uh, study at uni to become a multimedia designer, but never really worked in the field and. Um, always, it, I, I was always drawn to the life of the self-employed with less security, less stability, but the freedom to do what I want. I always enjoyed that. Yeah. So you sort of touched on the question I wanted to ask, and that's so you went from from doing those things in Germany to streaming here to game dev. I've got to ask: Did you do any studying for your game design, or did you just just fake it till you make it? 
I, I did have coding as a hobby when I was a teenager and in my early 20s as well. So, so there was some fundamental knowledge there, um, which helped me a lot with, with uh, game design, obviously. Um, the engine that we're using, Visionaire Studio, uh, which is also used by Dedalic, um, with, uh, yep, is quite easy to learn, thankfully. Uh, it uses Lua, and Lua is a language that's very forgiving, thankfully. Um, so that was fine. So can't complain in that regard. Are there any um, resources or people that you've been able to call upon if you ever do get stuck, or is it just YouTube? Yeah, that's, um, yeah. There, there's um, AFRL.me, which is his pseudonym, or Lee Clark in real life. Uh, that dude lives in Spain, and despite not being really associated with our engine, um, he basically has taken over support for that engine voluntarily. I don't know how he does it, but he's a machine of knowledge and um, just dishes out advice left and right. Um, I felt bad about asking him so much that I started paying him, because apparently nobody else does. People, please start paying that man. Um, but also the Visionaire community is great uh, on the Visionaire Discord where there's a couple of Visionaire devs. Uh, there's always a back and forth and advice being given, tips being asked for. It's a pretty, it's a small but very active community. Of course, uncomparable to stuff like Unity or something like that, but not, yeah, so uh, very active nonetheless. Is there any, uh, what's the reason why you, you did go with that engine? Is it just because it, it, it was pretty easy or? Yeah, what was the main reason? I knew that it would be um, adaptable, as in you can code as much as you want, but you don't need to code much, um, as opposed to AGS, which requires a lot of coding for uh, well, almost the same abilities engine-wise. Um, and yeah, this flexibility was what drew me there. I wanted to start right away, so didn't want to spend a year having to learn the engine from ground up, um, but during development, I was able to basically dabble and learn more about the engine as we went. And then the tasks that I was able to complete became more complex and the code that I wrote myself became more complex and more numerous. So I was able to grow with, my, with the engine rather than having to master the engine first and then start uh, coding the game. One question I didn't, didn't ask earlier, but is this, your, this is your first time developing a game, correct? So you haven't worked on any other projects before? Commercial right? game, yeah. Yeah, so okay. I, I did have some some um, games that I actually... I, I think I sold four copies of a game when I was 17, um, which was a um, office building simulator. V very exciting yeah, right. stuff. Jeez. Wow, yeah. I'm, <laughs> it's very German. Very German. <laughs> Germans love that shit. You know, like farming simulator, it's all German, yeah. All right, so what... do You, you don't play as a building, do you? So, like... No, you... I was very young, and you literally... Do you know Mad TV, the game, by any chance? Mad TV, no. Is it the so the, you, the old TV show? Uh, no, not not associated. You you play as a young program coordinator for a TV station, and you walk through a building, going into different doors. After, uh, behind each door is a department of your TV uh, channel. You can buy uh, uh, shows in one room. You can buy or, or rent actors in another room and so on and so forth. It was kind of like that, only more boring because it was just an office building simulator. Um, this may have been because my father was uh, in IT in the 80s already and um, 
that was the life that I knew. He came home and he was telling me all those office stories, which basically was just rumors and <laughs> boring stuff. But hey, it became a game. Uh, is it still, can, can, uh, can we still buy it these days? No, I, I think it's lost in time. <laughs> I know that would have been my, my bid for to become a millionaire. So let's go right, right back to, to the start. So what are your first sort of memories of gaming? Uh, you did mention earlier that you, that you played Leisure Suit, Le, uh, Leisure Suit Larry, um, We've both been drinking wine during this, haven't we? Yeah. <laughs> when you were four, so um, that can't be the first thing. That that surely can't be. No, not the absolute first thing. <laughs> uh, the absolute first thing is the traditional Frogger game and Pitfall, uh, the, the the very first games that were available on the PC platform. So I was always a PC gamer, and I started with the IBM PC, the four point seven seven megahertz. Yeah, one. right. Nice. Did you and your uh, you and your dad play together or? Uh, not much. No, he he gave me the PC and then went to do his things. He was a great dad, but there was not much playing together. That's all right. Um, nice. So you mentioned Monkey Island's your favorite game. I did have a question, but I've actually forgotten what it was. So we'll we'll move on to. As long as it's not the you know the graphics question, I'm I'm, I'm I refuse to answer that one. <laughs> no, so it was more like what's uh, something that you dislike about point and click games? Hmm. Perhaps how little innovation there is as a whole within the genre. I don't think necessarily that there needs to be innovation, but I think most of us aren't trying that hard to 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 bring innovation to the genre uh I, I include myself in that as well at the very beginning when i designed bomb punk i had quite lofty goals of what kind of innovation i would bring into it and after having experimented with a couple of these it was pretty clear that was either too much to tackle as because it's my first project or it would be unfeasible or increase the workload too much and uh, i think it's a pretty settled genre which has good sides as in you know uh, what you can expect and you will get exactly that but on the other hand not much changes really mm. so we uh we talked before about games um like that are coming out and one that i've had my eye on for uh, ages is it's called brock the investigator i don't know if you've heard of this game at all vaguely i couldn't tell you what it's about so it's a point and click beat em up so you talk about innovation okay yeah <laughs> Okay, I can so, see that. So, uh, like the interaction with the world and stuff, and the story-driven sort of sort of stuff, it's all um, point-and-click style of gameplay. But then you have these moments where you're actually out in the streets, and you're this Point huge and street fighter. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, it's more like Streets of Rage. So you're like, yeah, um, yeah. It's actually it's it's really good. You should uh, check it out. Sounds I mean, good. It comes Shall out do? this year. Yeah. So if you're looking for two genres that you just wouldn't have thought work. Yeah. Um, that do work, yeah. That's uh, that's definitely one. I'm so reminded of of the the old quest for glory. Oh, sorry, that's my phone. That's alright. Ah, sorry, that's unprofessional. That's okay. Um, uh, yeah, it reminds me of the quest. Was it quest for glory or quest of glory? I think it was quest for glory, where they were able to to um, meld both RPG elements and point and click adventure elements together. That was nice as well. Back onto the studio. You've been doing this for uh, three years, about yeah. about three years. Yeah. yeah. What What do you think's been the hardest thing about running a company or a studio? Um, managing finances, keeping everything on track in that regard, because um, I hate finances. 
don't like it. It's a it's a necessity, obviously, but um, not enjoying it. Um, and in our particular case, or rather the, in the particular case of the time that we developed the game in, COVID. COVID was really, really fucking horrible because uh, sometimes, uh, well, we were evicted during COVID. Um, so that that meant spending a lot of money on, on moving, getting a new house. Um, our cat got cancer during that time as well. Died, unfortunately, soon after what we... we uh, we we had him go through chemo. Um, yeah, that whole time period was, was was terrible. So many distractions from game development itself, just based on on uh, variables that we couldn't influence. So COVID came up suddenly. Um, some some people that I was working with disappeared from the face of the planet because of COVID. Don't know if they're dead. Don't know if they changed their life. I have no idea. Um, yeah, everything slowed down. People weren't. Um, able to work as much on the game anymore in, in many cases because they had to work harder to pay the bills now was all yeah wasn't wasn't that easy so that was definitely a, a i would say very very time specific challenge yeah i was just gonna ask i mean that's yeah that's that's uh, sounds like a pretty brutal time there not 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 fun yeah no not no. necessarily fun um it didn't help that you were in melbourne which was you know the most lockdown, the most lockdown city. city on the planet. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we're at, we're at the, the other side now. I think. Yeah, now think. Uh, now Melbourne also, funnily enough, uh, has become far more dare I say liberal with with our COVID laws uh, in comparison to other places in the world. So we're definitely not the most strict anymore. Um, so just yeah, just back onto that. So when you are like you talk about the the finances, but you've also got to do other admin you've got to do the marketing you've got to do stuff like this where you talk to annoying journalists um <laughs> so i guess like as you said time at least with you i have a journalist who i can drink with so that's that's true that's true um mate i'm looking forward to the uh Bourne punk launch party surely that's gonna well since since you're basically the only one that i know in melbourne who is involved with uh Bourne punk we may just have a one-on-one party i'm keen for that i'm i'm awesome. keen <laughs> There we go. Um, it's a deal. So you, you mentioned that uh, the funding has given you time. Like, you know, time is the biggest uh, benefit that you've had. How much time do you sort of spend on each facet of the studio uh, compared to game design? Because when I ask this question to other developers, they're always like, I really didn't think I would be spending this little time developing the game. There's all this other stuff I've got to actually do that goes into making a game, you know, that they weren't aware of this. So was it the same for you? Like, you know, when you were streaming, whatever you were doing and you go, no, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to make a game. I'm going to wake up, going to go and code some stuff. But you know, then you spend half the day doing other stuff. So, um, thankfully no, because I think a big reason for that is what I said before about already having had a, a presence online. So, uh, I didn't need to work as hard as many others would uh, on establishing some some visibility. Um, the finances, when it comes to tax, thankfully I have a, a very competent <laughs> tax person. Um, so no, I, I gotta say I was able to spend most of the time that I did spend on the game on the game itself. Um, if anything, it would be voice acting and directing voice acting and editing voice acting and uh, editing volume levels and trying to um, synchronize the, the the quality of the voice actors with one another, trying to... Little things like 
adding a little 500 millisecond pause between two sentences of the voice acting in order to be able to make the scene more impactful, that kind of stuff, that is actually taking the most time right now and has been for, for a bit. So if anything that I did not expect, it was how much time would be spent on the voice acting. But this may also be my fault because I apparently had the felt the necessity to write a damn book. You know, could, could we ever get uh, a special edition Born Punk book novel series? Gosh, I would love that. <laughs> uh, so you've mentioned that you're based in Melbourne and have you had much interaction with the Melbourne dev community or is it, have you just sort of been uh, lone, Outside of film Victoria, no, but that's mostly because I'm, I'm quite happy being a bit of a lone wolf, wolf. so yeah. to say. Yeah. yeah. Because I was going to ask, um, um, just uh, this is sort of like a sub question of this question. I, n- I never recall seeing you at PAX. I mean, I know that probably the bulk of your PAXs have been cancelled. In fact, I think maybe yeah. both of them have. Yeah. Um, so uh, since the start of development, there were literally was no PAX. Yeah, because I could have gone to. I couldn't remember if um, 2019. Because when was the Kickstarter? Uh, that was in February 2019. But at that point, it would have been for me too early to go to PAX with the game. Because there would have not been much to show. That would have been just the more demo than the that Kickstarter demo. Yeah. 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 So yeah, I, w- I would have gone there in 2021 at the very latest, but there wasn't are you, anything. Are you thinking about going this year? Or um, probably, yeah. Yeah, would say so. Cool. Um, I haven't I haven't informed myself yet what 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 the costs are for for little indie developers like us. Um, but yeah, the, oh, the will is there. I hope to see you there. Well, uh, I think I will. Uh, you will. We'll if, share. A if wine. only as a as a if only as a visitor. True, true. Um, okay, so I don't really have many other questions because um, I've sort of asked them all. And we'll well, uh, we are running out of wine here anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I got I got a couple ones I've I've thought of. So I just want to jump back to to Born Punk quickly. I got to say, I want to take credit for uh, the game having its release date because I remember at the start of the year we because we, we always do this um, the calendar uh, and I and, and you were in the calendar I believe that that was what it was in reply to and you were like well I guess I gotta announce the the release date I, re- so, I remember that yeah yeah, yeah. yes you, you yeah that's actually absolutely true I thought hmm what is he, what is he gonna come up with now but no I remember and you're absolutely right. You you were the, the 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 inspiring factor, so to say. Yeah. The, the game never really had a date before, but were you intending to release a bit earlier, or uh, was it? I yeah, wanted it was... to release a whole year earlier. Okay, but right. COVID and yep. the the personal uh, repercussions of of uh, all that was associated with it just made it impossible. Um, so many things happened. Uh, also with with Indrek again, our pixel artist. Uh, there were lots of stuff going on in Estonia in his personal life, uh, all due to this pandemic, and was just wasn't possible. So we, we could have probably have, you know, uh, forced it and crunched it, but not worth it. I don't think we want to start going down that road. No, well, that was another question I was going to ask, and I normally ask a lot, a lot of people. Is I find that indie devs have what I call like passion crunch. So it's not it's not force crunch because you know no one's telling you to do it you know you're not you're not forced you know you're not chained to a desk um, instead you know this is your project this is your baby so you want to spend every waking moment that you've got 
um, working on on this game. But it sounds like that you you've got a relatively healthy sort of work life balance. Or yes, I, I I learned that during my YouTube and Twitch days when I was at the height of my career there, I would spend 16, 18 hours a day just Streaming. doing that well, and not and nothing else. Yeah, right. and that wasn't in the end. Yeah, bur- burnout syndrome. Here here we come. And during that time, I learned that despite how much I would love to spend so much time on the project I'm currently doing, I shouldn't. Because in the end, it's better for everybody involved, the project, myself, uh, the people who either want to be entertained by me or in this case now want to play my game. Everybody is better off if I don't overdo it. And I think that is not only for, that it doesn't only count for myself. I think that goes for everyone out there who is passionate about something. I think longevity is more important than the, the, the immediate focus on something. I, I, I think it's better to, to not try to wipe yourself out in the short term. I mean, obviously, nobody is really trying to do that, but that's, that's <laughs> the result of, of, yeah. No, of yeah, course. that kind of crunch. Yeah. So one of the things that we first mentioned at the very, very, very start was Pirate Cats. So can you give yeah. the listeners just uh, what are we even talking about here? Um, Pirate Cats in this context means that there may be some entities in this game that manifest as cats with pirate hats and cybernetic enhancements. They may not actually be cats, but they certainly behave like cats and speak like cats. And uh, there's a lot of them. I also just love saying cybernetic, ci- what cybernetic pirate cats. It's an awesome thing to say. It's a great hook for the game, um, and I will say it forever because it's awesome. Cybernetic pirate cats. You uh, wouldn't want to buy a game with that hook. That's uh, that is true. We have a lot of cat lovers uh, at uh, World Played, so I think you've got us all. Also, it's it's the internet. Hooked. Everybody loves cats on the internet. They do. And they who do. doesn't love cats on the internet shouldn't be on the internet. Um, so you, you mentioned sort of briefly that maybe there was a little bit of inspiration from your own cats. So, yeah. Um, yeah, but partly, partly, uh, it came from that cat who unfortunately died for, of cancer. Um, we have three cats now, uh, two, two cats to replace one because we thought, um, if our older cat dies then if we only get one cat as a replacement and that cat would be alone and that would be a never-ending cycle of cats dying and then another cat being alone and uh, therefore our life is pretty cat focused and uh, we love our cats we love cats full stop and uh, i wanted to get that love for cats um, into the game as well some of the cats in the game even have their own law entries <laughs> some of the kickstarter backers wanted their cats in the game uh, they have law entries too and dialogue and everything <laughs> <laughs> did you did you at least uh, record your own cats for for the cat samples? No, because it's very hard to get a cat to do something when you want to do make it to do something. Honestly, maybe I, you just I tried to attach no. like a like a dictaphone to it and just throughout the day and just <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or, or or start you know um, doing horrible things to them. But no, I would never do uh, that. No, <laughs> no, so unfortunately right. not. Oh well, so. Couple of quick questions on insert disc before we before we wrap up. I actually didn't ask, and I I apologize. But what what is actually your role on the game? I I know that you're the the writer, and I guess you're the the coder, or is that the programmer? Um, yes. So so what are the but, yeah? 
yeah, so I wrote the story and dialogues. So I'm, I'm the sole writer in that regard, uh, with exception of the universe lore, which is um, written by um, Zach Frimpong. Um, from I, uh, I know, um, I know. And I do the coding. I do all the engine stuff. I do all the audio stuff. Uh, I do do a lot of things. Um, and I do the things that I think I can be competent in. I think I'm thankfully realistic enough to um, delegate work to people who I know are much better at that stuff than I could ever be. But the stuff that I think I can do, I will do myself simply because uh, it is my mind baby. And as my mind baby, I do want to take or have as much control as is possible without compromising the quality of the end product. So you're, uh, we've talked about your journey and it's, you know, it's not one that's, uh, normal if you want to say that so i guess w what advice would you give to people who are interested in sort of game design you know looking at making that that leap of faith kind of thing the advice that i would give is pretty similar to the advice i would give in every life situation simply based on the, the personality that i am i say skip school and do whatever the hell you want. This may not be the normal, <laughs> the normal expected answer, but um, I think we thankfully, thankfully now live in a time where stuff written on paper isn't as important anymore as what you actually can do, what you know, how you present yourself, and what you can produce. I think thanks to younger generations taking over now, there's far more people willing to listen to you if you prove to be competent, and, and they will give you a chance without having spent five or six years in college and university and having a degree that you never really needed. So I, I would got, say got if two. you want to chase your dreams, go ahead and chase your dreams as quickly and early as possible. If you fail, so what? You can still do normal things if we want to continue to use the word normal. You can still become uh, an employee at a company. Um, at least when you're old, you can say, I tried. And I think that's important. I tried. It's not succeeding. That's not important. But knowing that you did your best once, if you fail or succeed, doesn't matter. I think that's important. Final question for you. We've sort of talked about it a little bit, but what does the future hold for Insert Disc 22? I hope Born Punk 2. And um, first, uh, I hope Born Punk the DLC, as in there's a few little stories that uh, I don't think I've told anyone about this yet. I think there's a few little stories Within Born Punk, uh, the universe that I would like to tell before continuing the story of Born Punk, um, that would probably be like an hour or two of, of, of content in, in each DLC, but completely disconnected from the main characters, um, but rather focusing on the side characters, you know, like Boba Fett for Star Wars and stuff like that. And I think that would be an interesting way to keep interest for the game up, if there's interest to begin with, obviously, um, whilst honing our skills as a studio, without having to go straight back to the planning board, uh, to the drawing board and start right away with Born Punk 2. I think such an intermediary step would be cool. I should have asked this this question earlier, but hypothetically, if, if, you, if Born Punk wasn't a point and click game, what other game, what style, of, what genre would you like to make uh, Born Punk? Um, there's two genres that come to mind then. A, an RPG. Um, and be a city builder. <laughs> <laughs> nice. There's a funny enough, of course, the genres that I like the most, apart from from point and clicks. Uh, I absolutely love city builders, but I could really 
imagine Bonpunk building up a cyberpunk dystopia city in, in an in a isometric kind of perspective. Yeah, I would love that. And then you could have uh, a DLC. Cats or inhabitants, yes. You could have like <laughs> um, cyberpunk city simulator. Or no, was yes. it? Yes. No, cyberpunk office building simulator. Cyberpunk <laughs> office building. Holy shit. <laughs> God, you're giving me so many ideas. I know, I know. All right, cool. Well, Falco, thank you so much for having this chat and taking the time. Thank you for having me. You're a busy man. It's been a long time, long time overdue. So I'm glad that we finally made it, made it it possible. And uh, and I I look forward to playing the game on June 15 on or the 22nd. Sorry, sorry, yes, yes, delay for one week or (laughs) the 22nd. yeah, thank you for joining us. Where can people find out more information about you and or Born Punk? Um, the easiest way would I would say would be on Twitter. It's at insertdisc22 now. Uh, we also have a website, insertdisc22.com. Um, or you can even join our Discord, who nobody has access to because I haven't posted a link in a million years. Perhaps I should do that on Discord. I mean, on Twitter. <laughs> so let's go for Twitter. I think Twitter is the most the easiest way look i've got a you know while this is a hot topic and we're talking about cyborgs and cyberpunk what do you think <laughs> of elon musk uh buying twitter so whatever my answer is now i'm either going to lose half of my, my 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 potential player base or 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 gain half of them because it's a very very controversial topic but but i i love being controversial so i'm a fanboy i'm a fanboy i'm a fanboy because um I, I think it can't regarding Twitter it can't get much worse. So I think every every step can only become a better step. Um, of course, I would never want one single person to own so much of the public sphere of public communication, which is a very cyberpunk thing to do. But honestly, the conglomerate that is currently in charge of Twitter, they're not really that much better either. So why not try something else? See how how, how he manages to fuck things up. <laughs> Maybe you could reach out. Maybe he might. Um, he could be a playable character or some DLC. The Elon Musk DLC. We're getting a lot of diverse DLC ideas here right now. So the Elon Musk cyberpunk island city building management simulator. There you go. There you yeah. go. With with cybernetic pirate cats. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Perfect. I'm in. Well, Falco, thank you once again. Uh, and thank everyone, you. Thank, thank you for listening to this episode of Made in Australia. You can check out the content. Um, now it'll be on the website which is www.well-play.com.au and we will see you next time.